0: All right, let's get into the Bible. Again, we're in Acts. Let us run to God in prayer again, and we're going to have fun this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we love you tremendously, Lord. And as we come to you boldly in the name of your Son, we're asking you for your Holy Spirit. We want to see you, we want to know you, we want to understand you, we want to love you. We want to obey you. We want to be astonished and marveled by you. If any of us are are dull in our relationship with you, Lord, we ask that you revive us this morning. Take away all the cares and concerns. Let us cast those things upon you because we know that you care for us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So past couple weeks, we, we paused our study here in Acts because as we step into chapter 13, it's a pretty major transition as Luke is writing this letter to Theophilus conveying the testimony of all that was going on in the early church as we begin chapter 13 this morning. Here is the first intentional missionary movement within the body of Christ, led by the Holy Spirit. But we went and read the, the letters of First and 2 Peter because in chapter 12, God preserves Peter's life. And chronologically, Peter would have written those letters towards the end of the book of Acts in the early 60s is when he would have penned those letters. But I felt that it was important for us to stop because the, the content, the, the major character that is being followed in the first half definitely was following Peter. And now as we step into these later chapters... The attention is turned to what God is doing in and through Paul. So if you remember Paul, he is the one who showed up there at the end of chapter 7 when Stephen is martyred, when stones are thrown at his head. We have Saul was there consenting to his death in the beginning of chapter 8. We had Saul heading up this great persecution against the church church. In chapter 9 we have Saul confronted by Jesus himself and we watch Jesus reveal himself to Saul and Saul submit himself to who Jesus is. Immediately there in Damascus he begins to preach Jesus is the Christ in the synagogues. He travels back to Jerusalem. The church is afraid of him because of his historical behavior and they're not sure if he's really converted or not. But there Barnabas finds him, brings him to the apostles. They have some interaction, but as Paul continues to preach in the community, he is uh, stirring up opposition. That opposition wants to kill him, and they send him off to Tarsus, back to his, his hometown there in Asia Minor. And then in the end of chapter 11, we see the gospel Going into this this area of Antioch So this is in modern day Syria The church gets wind of what's going on there As people are turning to Jesus in faith They send Barnabas there Barnabas is encouraged and encouraging to the church All these people are being added to the Lord He thinks that he needs help He sees that he needs help He goes to Tarsus, finds Saul and brings him back at this time, there is a famine. So this, uh, the famine that is going on in the area of the world, the Antioch church determines to send this gift, this ministry, this service to the church in Jerusalem. They send this gift by the hands of Barnabas and Saul as they travel. And that's sitting in the same time period as James is executed, as Peter was freed from prison. We'll watch Peter show up again in chapter 15, and then he disappears from this testimony in Acts. So all this is going on at the same time. So looking at the very last verse of chapter 12, we're told that Barnabas and Saul are returning from Jerusalem, so returning to Antioch when they had fulfilled their ministry. they also took with them John whose surname was Mark now remember chapter 12 we were introduced to his mother Mary this is the house that Peter is knocking on the door of where the church is gathered together praying for Peter Mary is John Mark's mother so this is a relation to Barnabas and as they go back Barnabas is come on John Mark Come with us. As we look at who John Mark is, this is, uh, church history tells us that he is the one who penned the Gospel of Mark, which is believed to be Peter's testimony. But the end of, again, the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is being rested. That young man who is running away, that has the sheet taken away from him, and the first streaker that we see in the Bible that's John Mark. John Mark was a te- he was there. He lived through these events. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw him resurrected. They're central to the, the church there that's in Jerusalem. And as Peter, or sorry, as uh, Barnabas and Saul are going back to Antioch to continue to minister to the brothers and sisters that are there in that community, John Mark, come with us. That's important because we'll watch John Mark fail at least through the eyes of Paul. All right, chapter 13. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. This is a, this is a wonderful passage to sit in and meditate in. So here we're given the testimony that in Antioch, right, this, this vibrant uh, revival that Jews and Gentiles are turning to faith in Jesus. Barnabas and Saul have been in this community for over a year teaching, ministering. There are other prophets and teachers in this community. Simeon, he's called Niger, the it's Latin for black, so the assumption is that he is of African descent earlier on in the testimony of uh, what was going on in in uh, Antioch. Um, those of Cyprus and Cyrene. So this Lucius would have been there. So here are these, these brothers from Africa who were there ministering in Antioch. Menean, this this guy, It's we're told that he was raised with. He was the foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas that we talked about. So Herod Agrippa is the Herod in chapter 12. Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch. This was Herod the Great's youngest son. He was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. He was the one that was there presiding over Jesus at his trials. But the testimony of this group of men, they are serving the Lord. So in whatever, whatever capacity, whether they're teaching, whether they're praying, whether they're worshiping, whether they're preaching in the community, the testimony that we get is their life is dedicated to, to serving God. Ultimately, in all of our actions and all of our behaviors, whether we sin, our sin is not really against human beings, our sin is against God, or whether we serve. That service is really, it's, it's motivation And its uh, direction is not, the focal point is not on us as individuals. The focal point is on God and who he is and what he has done. He is the one that is motivating us and he ultimately is the one who we are serving. They're ministering to the Lord. They're fasting. We're not told why they're fasting. Isaiah 58 is an awesome passage to sit in if you want to understanding what God's heart is concerning fasting. But in the midst of this prayer, Whether it's just these five or there's more involved, we're not told. We're not told how the Holy Spirit speaks. We're not told that um, the Holy Spirit spoke to Simeon and Simeon stands up as a prophet and says, the Holy Spirit has just given me these words concerning Barnabas and Saul. We're not given those specifics, but whatever the way that the Holy Spirit chose to speak, He spoke to them with clarity this idea of separation. Barnabas and Saul, they have already been separated to the Lord. They are already involved in serving the Lord. They are already participating in a vibrant community. The Holy Spirit is at work. And in the midst of this activity, the Holy Spirit is saying, now separate to me for this specific work Because the Holy Spirit, he has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a direction, and he is going to send these two men out. When they get this information, they choose not to just run ahead full steam, but they continue to fast, they continue to pray. You have brothers laying the hands on other brothers. Again, this, this symbol of the power and authority of God. And it says that they sent them away. And this, this word for sent them away, it means that they were set free. They were released. They were released from their service in this community because they recognized the calling that God has in their life. We you sit in the testimony of Paul's life, he in Galatians, he said that God from birth separated him to God and to the grace of God. Again, this isn't something that Paul recognized at his birth, but in his relationship with God, as he is pinning that letter to the Galatians, he was able to say with confidence that God separated me from my mother's womb, sitting there with the, in, in the Jeremiah's calling. God created us, knitted us together with a plan and a purpose and an intention. And in that, there has always been, I am separating you from the world, from your sin, from the power of death. I'm separating you to myself because I have created you for my glory. That that personal relationship that Paul had with the Lord. In Romans 1.1, Paul says as he identifies himself as a bondservant of Christ and as an apostle of Christ, That Jesus had also separated him to the gospel. And then, here in Acts, this is now being set apart, separated to the Holy Spirit for a specific work that the Holy Spirit was revealing to them. I don't know how you sit in this kind of information. Personally, there's, there's always a lot of conversation in the body of Christ in regards to what has the Lord called you to do? How are you serving the Lord? What is, what is he directing you to do with your life as you follow Jesus? Um, you know, for me, early on in my walk, I came to the Lord in 99. My daughter was born at the end of 2000. 2001, I read through the Bible for the first time. 2002, I didn't know what to do, but seeking the Lord, again, young married, young child, should I go on and get an MBA? And felt this call to be separated to the Lord. And this is language that I can add to it now. Because I just knew then I had the sense from the Lord, and I can't say that this is the verse, and this was the sentence, and this is the day. I just knew that the Lord was directing me to pursue him fully, and not to pursue a corporate ladder, not to pursue an education, but that as he led me, if he led me to the corporate world, that that's what he would have done. If not, then I was okay with it, but Blake, he was telling me to turn my attention fully to him, and be separated to him, trusting that he will faithfully lead me day in and day out. My call had further separated in 2005 where I was invited to come on to the staff there at the Calvary and Salt Lake Again, sitting in this kind of text afresh where the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. He was leading me. I was already serving. I was already, you know, growing in my relationship with the Lord, growing in my relationship with my wife. Now three children. Growing in my career and everything doing well and having the Lord speak to us of now this different separation for a specific work. When I stepped into that role, I thought it was gonna be for the rest of my life. And then... Six years later, again, separate to me, Blake and Julie, for this specific work. We thought it was one thing. It ended up being something totally different, where God is continuing to speak to us and and lead us, where he has separated us from birth. He has separated us further as we step into relationship with him through his beautiful son, as we walk down this path of life, there is further separation from the things of this world as we dedicate our minds and our hearts and our souls and our lives to a greater and greater degree as he leads us and matures us day in and day out. I think that this is it's a beautiful passage of the Holy Spirit, not just speaking to an individual, but speaking to two brothers that really love each other, And to a greater community, this, this, I guarantee, a very intimate group of men that are praying together, they're fasting together, they're serving together. And in this group, as they're seeking the Lord, they hear that voice of God, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And we don't get any idea that Barnabas and Saul have a clue what the Holy Spirit is asking them to do. My assumption, reading in between the lines, I think that they do have a clue. But this idea that, yes, this church is commissioning them and sending them, recognizing the call of God on their life. But really, they're setting them free from the service in which they were already engaged to the service that the Lord was now calling them to. Which I think is beautiful because in the body of Christ, often we want to hold on to things. We want to hold on to people. We want to hold on to ministries and programs rather than having an open hand and saying to the Holy Spirit, whatever you want us to do. If this is what you've laid in our hand, we're asking that you would give us your power and your ability, your understanding, your knowledge to faithfully walk out your calling. But if you choose to take that program, that service out of the hand, it's free, Lord. Take it and direct us what to do next. So, verse four, we watch them as the church is sending them, dispatching them, ultimately They're being sent by the Holy Spirit. It says they go down to Seleucia. So Antioch is on the Orontes River there in Syria. They travel to the Mediterranean. It's not too far, but this is the port city for Antioch. They get on a boat. They sail to Cyprus, about 100 miles due west. When they arrive, they come to the city in Salamis. It's on the east of uh, this island that's in the Mediterranean of Cyprus. It looks like a swordfish. This real, Anyways, Salamis is on the east side. They, they, it says that they preach. They proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So in this calling, Barnabas, you can tell he's encouraging his nephew to, to come along with them. This idea of him being a helper, an under-rower to the work that God is doing. We don't get any testimony in regards to the response to the word of God in Salamis. In verse 6, it says, When they had gone through the island all the way to Paphos, which is on the west side, uh, they've gone, they've traversed through the whole island. We have no testimony of what occurred, but now as he's in Paphos, we get this testimony. It says they found a certain sorcerer, a magi a wise man, is a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, son of Joshua, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time." And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and he saw what had been done, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So here... Luke is giving us this testimony as Barnabas and Saul and Mark come into this community. They've gone into the synagogue. They are teaching the word of God. They are proclaiming and preaching the gospel. It's come to the attention of the governor of the land. So the highest Roman official in the land. And he's identified as an intelligent man, as a wise man, which I find is interesting because in Corinthians, Paul tells us there's not many wise how many intelligent individuals um, humble themselves in their intelligence, in their IQ, before the Almighty God? And it's not because God doesn't call them. Again, it's usually this, this idea of pride and intelligence. And you got to show me all the different levels of proof before I will believe. Rather than clearly there is a God God, show me who you are and submitting to that. But here, this intelligent man calls for them to come and hear. And this, this, this false prophet, and uh, I'm not going to sit in all that language because we just did last week in Second uh, Peter, regards to the heart of a false prophet, this man, it says that he is opposing Saul uh, and Paul's. Words, Barnabas's words, he is seeking to pervert and to twist this man, Sergius Paulus, away from the faith in Jesus Christ. And this is uh, when he sits in Paul's language when was the last time you ever called somebody the son of the devil? To anybody's face? <laughs> This is, this is, I mean, is that a, would we identify that as okay language to use to another human being? Oh, full of all deceit, all cunning and wickedness, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness. We may think those words, we may say those words behind closed doors in private conversation. But why are these, these very, very strong words of rebuke coming out of the apostles' mouth? Paul's mouth to this individual who's been blinded by his sin, blinded by his sorcery, blinded by his own intelligence. Elimus, that name in Arabic means wise, and he's a counselor to a very wise and intelligent man, a religious counselor. The strongest language we see come out of God's mouth come out of Jesus' mouth, and come out of his followers' mouth is always directed to individuals who are standing in between God and his children. This man is standing between God and the salvation of Sergius Paulus. And Paul knows it. And this man is twisting perverting the word of God so that he can keep his authority, so that he can keep his clutches into the power that he has in this governor's life and in the community and whatever he is holding on to in his his own wickedness. Paul stands there in a powerful rebuke. And Jesus, again, when when you listen to the harsh, direct rebuke come out of Jesus' mouth, It is directed to individuals who are standing as a roadblock and as a stumbling block between a human being who needs the salvation of God. And the rebuke comes to that wall. And then through a miracle that Paul would be very intimately aware of, what happened to Paul when Jesus revealed himself to Saul, to Paul? He was blinded by God. Scales, it said, that were over his eyes. Here for this man, it's this mist that descends over his eyes, that the imagery given is like he just entered into a fog where he can now see nothing clearly. And through this miracle, through the miracle that is performed as Sergius Paulus is witnessing this, but it says that he not only the miracle that is performed, but that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When is, a, I don't add, when is the last time is the wrong question? I pray that you are continually astonished at the teaching of Jesus Christ. I hope every time you sit at his feet and you listen to his words, that he marvels you. He puts you in a position of awe. I can't believe This being created me. The adult study was talking about the crucifixion of Christ this morning. The three hours of darkness. What was it for our God to become like us and to have the sin, my sins, your sins, the sin of all humanity placed upon him? It says that he became sin for us. The God who is defined as light Took on this darkness, took on this sin and died for it, sacrificed himself for it perfectly. And the testimony of the truth of that is his resurrection. Wow. And this man is sitting in the, in the information, the, the gospel being conveyed to him, that whoever comes to the God who created the heavens and the earth through his son, through the name of Jesus, has that forgiveness of sins, has eternal life forever. Astonished at God's teaching. How how do you, how would you sit in this man? Who knows, he's he's a high Roman official. Can you imagine what sins this man has been actively participating in in his entire life, his entire professional career? Who did he have to sin all over to be in this position as governor? And he is now sitting in this astonishment at the teaching of who Jesus Christ is. Love it. Verse 13, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga. So this is due north. So off of the island, they go due north. They're now in modern-day Turkey. They're in a port town, Perga in Pamphylia. And then it says we have John, he departs from them and he returned to Jerusalem. And the word departing there literally means that he withdrew. It just doesn't mean that he went away, but that he deserted them. So in chapter 15, um, chapter 15, there's going to be a division between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is determined to take John Mark back with them. Paul insisted no, because he departed from them here. He had not gone on with them to the work. The contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they go their separate ways because of whatever John did here. We're not told why. We're not told that he's homesick. We're not told that he's afraid. We're not told he was just too young and too immature. He's not prepared. He's not ready. We're not given the reason why. But Paul, as he's sitting in the emotion of this event... He is seeing it through the eyes of John just abandoned us and the work in which God had called us to. He came along as a helper. He came along to assist. And now he's abandoning the role that he set his hand to. And that is very bothersome to Paul, where we see later on Barnabas sits in a lot more mercy. We do praise the Lord at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, we see Paul call for Mark to come to him because he's useful to him. So there is definitely a future restoration that happens. Verse 14, But when they had departed from Pergus, so they start marching north, they come to another Antioch. This is Antioch and Pisidia. And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they sat down. And after the reading of the law, so the books of Moses and the prophets, The rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation, any word of comfort for the people, speak on, say on, speak. We're not going to, we're going to go through Paul's sermon here pretty quickly. I would invite you that if this is a new material for you, or if you just want a solid reminder of all the different things that he brings up, this is an awesome message to sit in and to meditate in so paul stands up he motions with his hands men of israel and you who fear god listen you've given me the command to speak now i'm giving you the command to listen the god of this people israel chose our fathers abraham isaac jacob And exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, when they sojourned in the land of Egypt. This is now the book of Exodus. And with an uplifted, a tall and powerful arm, he brought them out of it. Now, for a time of about forty years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Time of testing, a time of rebellion. Literally, he endured with their ways in the wilderness. Verse 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, see those in Deuteronomy 7, he distributed their land to them by allotment. Book of Joshua. Verse 20, after that, he gave them judges. Book of Judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, now stepping into 1 Samuel. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he, God, had removed him, Saul, ultimately because of Saul's ongoing, unrepentant disobedience, he raised up for them David, his king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. From this man's seed, from this man's descendants, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all people of Israel, And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. I am not the Messiah. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. In sitting in, as he's sitting in a synagogue, these individuals, they have already read through a portion of uh, the law, the books of Moses. They've read a portion out of the prophets. They now, as visitors, are being given uh, the opportunity to encourage. He just walked through a history that every single person there would be very familiar with. I love the testimony of David. I love sitting in David's life and even in his different failures, but we watch, like, God gives this testimony. There is a man whose heart is according to my heart. As David pursued God in faith, God gave to him his righteousness. Even when he messed up, we watch David, his repentance, in contrast to Saul's unrepentance, how Saul was removed and David was lifted up. God gave to David very specific promises. Go sit in 2 Samuel 7. As God is speaking to David about his son, the promise that his son's kingdom will go forever and ever and ever. Verse 26, he continues, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, Gentile converts to Judaism in the group, to you, the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not know him, they were ignorant to him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they were just read before these individuals, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days, so for those 40 days, by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Eyewitnesses, those who saw him die, those who saw him alive again, those who touched him, those who ate with him, those who listened to him, those who watched him ascend into heaven. These are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. Literally, we declare the gospel to you. That promise which was made to the fathers God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He's bringing up this passage because here God is identifying the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ as his son, linking him to the descendant of David, and the, the words that God gave to David in Second Samuel 7, verse 34, it says, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, to decay. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David, the sure holies of David, literally, according out of Isaiah 55. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not allow, you will not give your Holy One, your Messiah, your Christ to see corruption, to see decay. And the logic for David, after he had served his own generation by the will, by the plan and the purpose of God, he fell asleep. He died. He was buried with his fathers. His body saw corruption and decay. But he, Jesus, whom God raised up, saw no corruption. And here's the thrust. Therefore, this is the imperative. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you, is announced to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified. Declared right and righteous. Declared free from sin as though you had never sinned. Astonishing words. From all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore. Lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. It's out of Habakkuk, behold you despisers, marvel and and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which by you will no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. And you see that often in the Old Testament. We see it coming out of Jesus' mouth. Also, that warning not to be dull in hearing. You hear the words, you hear the testimony about Jesus. You sit in the, the reading and you read it yourself. The Old Testament and the New Testament Don't be a despiser, don't be one who hears only, but will by no means believe, but be in the position of rejecting. Verse 42, the results of this message. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, listen to this, they begged, they encouraged that these words might be preached, might be spoken to them again the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded, convinced them to continue, listen to this, to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy And contradicting, speaking against, and blaspheming, slandering, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas says that they grew bold. They spoke freely and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you push it aside, since you reject it, listen to this too, and you judge yourselves unworthy, of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. "Cornelius out of Isaiah, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been anointed to eternal life Sorry, appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread. It was being carried throughout all the region. But the Jews, they stirred up, they agitated the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city. They raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them. They drove them out for the region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I wanted to get all of this in context because I feel that there, there's a few important ideas to really, that, that I sit in in the pullouts of the testimony of this. As we back up a little bit to when they were sitting on the island of Cyprus and this intelligent man, Sergius Paulus, he, he asks for these men to come and share the word of God. And I want to ask you this question. When is the last time you had another human being come to you in astonishment and excitement and ask, would you tell me about Jesus? Would you, would you open up to me and explain this passage to me? Help me to understand. I've heard what's being said over here. I've heard this person say this. I've been going to this congregation. I've heard this. I heard, I heard this on TV. I saw this on the internet. When's the last time you had somebody like just genuinely come to you and seek understanding of what the word of God says? When's the last time... You witnessed a Sergius Paulus step over the threshold of abiding in darkness as a son of disobedience, as a child of wrath, just as much a son of the devil as this Alimus is, and come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now has just stepped into his marvelous light. When's the last time you witnessed that personally? I don't say this, don't hear any kind of condemnation. I've been sitting in this thought for a few months. Because we see, in our congregation, in our community, I see many individuals growing and maturing in their relationship with the Lord. I see many individuals who have been messing around in the world and... Have been rebuked by the Lord and have decided, I'm not going to do that anymore and rededicate their life, be, re-bapti- re- be rebaptized in different contexts. But there's some kind of revival going on in the heart. There's growth and there's maturity. But I ask this because I, I sit in this community with you and we hear different testimonies and in different areas of. There's a person here coming to the Lord and there's a person there coming to the Lord. More often than not, that seems to be individuals who have heard about the Lord. They've, they've already expressed their faith as a child, but now they're, they're really being, like fully committing themselves to the Lord. I yearn to see in our culture, people turn to Jesus Christ. Intelligent people, unwise people, People have heard the name of Jesus their entire life. People have never heard about Jesus. We live in a community with a lot of immigrants. There are a lot of Muslims who move here from different countries. There are a lot of Hindu people who move here from other countries where they have a different religion. They have different gods. And my my personal prayers, God. Show us. Show me individually. Show us as a congregation. Give to us the ability. Give to us the words. Give to us the eyes. Give to us the opportunities. And I don't, I don't care how it happens, but we're asking the Holy Spirit, God, would you please separate us in our context to the work of evangelism in our culture? Give to us that power and that ability lord in 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 whatever it looks like to proclaim your astonishing truth and i see that happen a lot the discouragement that i sit in personally the like the the uh, um, that i feel as we live in this culture is people who have all of Jesus that they want. I love being around individuals like Sergius Paulus who say, tell me more. Let's open the word of God together. Let's study. Let's sharpen one another. I I want to know more about God. I want to experience him more. I want to understand him more. I want to be conformed into his image. I want to just be filled with the wonder of his grace and his love I can't wait to see him face to face. Being around you and many of you in this room and in our congregation, I love it. I love gathering around on Wednesday nights or yesterday, just getting around the table with people who love Jesus and want nothing more than to step into his presence and see him for all eternity. I love it. When we get outside of this building, when I interact with with just the general culture most people, when you start talking about jesus it's yeah you know, I go to church when I feel like it, you know I, I read devotion when I feel like it it 's just we live in a culture where the things of God have really been successfully choked out by all different cares, all different pressures, by false gods, by the deceit of the devil, by false prophets who are twisting the word of God. I just read an article yesterday of a televangelist trying to sell some kind of silver potion, health thing that's gonna cure you from coronavirus. Wow! Like, you want to stand in rebuke of somebody, you son of the devil? You're going to milk people for money in the name of Jesus? And this is where it's our God. Help me to stay gentle. Rebuke those, Lord, who abuse you, who abuse your people. Send us, Lord to the homes and the places where we can shine you brightly. Where we can be a true witness according to the power that you've given us, Jesus. Help us to, to love you, to know you, to understand you, just in, in our relationship with you. But at the same time, God, I'm begging that you would use each one of us to share the, go- the gospel boldly with whoever's willing to listen. Join me in that prayer. I'll join you in that prayer. God, we're here in this community. Show us how to reach this community. Whatever it looks like, Lord, show us. Separate us to it. Give us your power to do the work. Here's our open hands. Take us and use us for the name of Jesus Christ's sake. May people come to the Lord in masses. And if he doesn't choose to gift us as a congregation, then I pray that for the congregation down the street and the congregations in this community. May the body of Christ stand up boldly in love and in truth and in full dependence upon his word and his truth as we live out this life of following Jesus in our community. I want, I'm begging God to send to us and to send us to individuals who are ready to be astonished at who Jesus Christ is, whether it's the first And I'm back. <laughs> There's the pocket. All right. It's the same opportunity that we watch God give to Paul as they show up in this environment of people who believe in the true and living God. They've opened up God's word. They've opened up his truth. They have been doing this their entire lives. And now the Holy Spirit gave to Paul the opportunity to share the gospel in that context. He sent them to Cyprus, moved in this man specifically to invite them in. He sends them to this community in Antioch where they're sitting in the synagogue and just gives them free access to proclaim Jesus Christ to the Jews and to the God-fearers in the context, talking about an open door of opportunity. And I love, again, I love the response where you have some people that are responding with envy Again, people, there's the, the religious heart, the legalistic heart can respond to the proclamation and the success of the gospel in, in other contexts in all different weird ways. But here we're told the Gentiles of this community, those were, in the, they, they begged, come next week, tell us next week. And you can, can you imagine for a week's period of time the excitement about what they've just heard in regards to who Jesus is. They're hearing it for the first time, but this is another begging that I have of God for my own soul, is I I get wearied in this culture. I get wearied by the tasks of the world. I get wearied by the narrative of the world. God, would you please keep me in the position where I am always excited to hear your words spoken again and again and again come back next week and speak these words to us again and as they go about their life during this week they're talking to wives and children and brothers and sisters and coworkers so that a week later the almost it says almost the entire city of this community is gathered to this specific synagogue. The Holy Spirit moving in this community in a way where revival has just happened. are not. There's individuals that are jealous, of course. There's individuals that are not coming that can care less. But the testimony, almost, it feels like the almost the whole city has come to the doors of this building to hear what to hear Paul the Great Orator preach. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about this God that made me. Tell me about this God that died for me. I know that I'm unclean. I know that I'm dark. I know that I dwell amongst people that live in darkness. Tell me about life. Tell me that there's, that there's hope at death. What happens when we die? Tell me that I'm forgiven. Tell me that I'm clean. Tell me about his promises. Tell me what he did. Tell me what he taught. Tell me. Tell me again. Tell me again. God, don't let my heart get bored. God, don't let me ever forget about your wonderful promises. (laughs) You dwell in me? I no longer have spots or blemish. I'm no longer dark, but I am light. Holy, holy, holy. Are you God? And you've made me holy like you. There's coming a day. When you come to get us, we are going to see you as you are, Oh my God don't ever let that become boring brothers and sisters we can we uh, persuade one another as often as we gather together continue in god's grace and this last this last couple paragraphs over and over again it's talking about the word of god they came together to hear the word of god the word of god was proclaimed to them They are glorifying the word of God that has been preached into their life. And even in the midst of this opposition that they're receiving from the envious, even though they are being driven out of this community that the Holy Spirit brought them to and brought about incredible revival in, It says that Paul and Barnabas, the disciples here, they are walking away filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, even as they are being rejected and kicked out of this community. We'll step into chapter 14 next week, but like final thought to just kind of weird final thought, but who was left behind on Cyprus? Who was left behind at Antioch and Pisidia? They had just a brief moment. To hear truth and to hear about who Jesus is. And that concern about those brief moments, that drives Paul and Barnabas to go back to these communities to see how they're doing with the Lord. To not just notch their belts for we have these conversions, right? But to really be invested in other human beings' lives. How are you doing with Jesus? Continuing his grace. Father, again, we love you tremendously and we give you thanks for the testimony of your word. Lord, I give you thanks for for people like Sergius Paulus, Lord. And I, I can step into the man's heart. I remember what it was like to be astonished at hearing your gospel for the first time. I remember what it was like to be astonished to hear about your gospel again this morning, Lord. You astonished us. You cause us to awe and to just be filled with wonder in you. We are asking you in humility, would you give to us, Lord, the opportunity and the power, the words, the heart, the eyes, the service, whatever it looks like, Lord, would you grant to us individually and as a congregation the privilege to boldly proclaim glad tidings, good news, the incredible gospel that our God has provided us life eternally. Thank you, Lord. I'm asking for all of us, Lord, that you would enable us to continue in your beautiful grace. And that your word, Lord, That you would continue to use your word to cause us to mature, to cause us to grow, to cause us to be in wonder of you. That we would abide in your truth, that you would reveal your grace and your love. You would reveal your nature and your glory. You would reveal your plans and your purposes. As we began this morning with this this idea of being separated to you, Lord, I'm praying for all of us. Whatever that separation is right now, Lord, let us clearly hear your voice. Let us seek you in prayer. Let us seek you in fasting together as brothers and sisters. And may you lead us together and individually according to your perfect, holy, gracious will day in and day out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.